Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Hello and welcome to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. In today's episode, Riley Smith will visit with FFA Association President Holly Schmidt for National FFA Week. Dustin Huffman speaks with Iowa farmer Scott Henry about Climate Smart Program funding in the next Farm Bill. And Russ Parker provides his faith-based segment. Let's turn our attention now to this week's news headlines. The Environmental Protection Agency approved the long-delayed petitions from eight Midwest governors to allow summertime sales of E15 in these states. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, says it's a double-edged sword. Quote, the EPA finally allows retailers in these eight states to sell E15 year-round, he says, but it also delays the rules implementation until 2025. That delay creates considerable uncertainty and confusion about the availability of low-cost, lower-carbon E15 this summer. And the states in question can still ask for a waiver for E15 for 2024. Senators Chuck Grassley and John Tester encouraged their Senate colleagues to oppose recent efforts that they say will weaken the Packers and Stockyards Act. The upcoming fiscal year 2024 Agricultural Appropriations Bill includes provisions Grassley and Tester say would prevent USDA from enforcing the Packers and Stockyards Act to hold multinational food manufacturers accountable. Grassley, an Iowa Republican, and Tester, a Montana Democrat, contend, quote, Congress must reject the latest push by the special interest to attach a rider to the fiscal year 2024 Ag Appropriations Bill to once again block USDA from implementing the 2008 bipartisan Farm Bill reforms, end quote. Enforcement already falls short in leveling the playing field for small-scale producers, and the senators highlighted that recent efforts by the nation's largest meatpackers to prevent further enforcement would be detrimental to America's family farmers and ranchers. Currently, four companies control over 80% of domestic beef processing, 60% of domestic hog processing, and 50% of domestic poultry processing. Eating continues to cost Americans more money. That's even as overall inflation is backed off from the high pace of 2022 and 23. Restaurant prices were up 5.1% last month compared to January 2023. U.S. Labor Department data shows the grocery store cost increased 1.2% during the same period. Relief isn't on the immediate horizon as restaurant and food company executives continue wrestling with higher labor costs and more expensive ingredients like cocoa. And Brazil's 2023 soybean exports reached a record 3.74 billion bushels, 29% higher than the previous year as Brazilian production hit record levels. Meanwhile, U.S. shipments dropped 14% to 1.78 billion bushels in the same period. The two countries are major competitors and together ship over 80% of global soybean exports. Historically, the U.S. was the world's largest soybean exporter. Brazil surpassed the U.S. in soybean shipments for the first time in 2013. That's all the time we have this week for news headlines. Let's turn it over now to Russ Parker for his faith-based segment here on Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Isn't this an interesting time of the year? The geese are flying, calves are being born, and we know spring is right around the corner. But everything seems dirty somehow. The grass is brown, the melting snow has left behind its deposits of rock and dirt and trash, and the trees are barren, it seems. There just doesn't seem to be much around to sustain life. 
As an example, last fall during the bow season, I shot a big buck. And I knew at the time it was a lethal shot, and my neighbor and my sons helped me to look for him, but to no avail. Well, last week I found him, his bones revealing that he had hidden himself in what was at the time a tall, thick patch of switchgrass, now matted down to a flat carpet to reveal what we had been searching for in October. I could see my bow stand from where I found him. And I spoke to my neighbor the other day, and she proclaimed a lost item dropped last fall on the driveway had showed up in a pile of stone left by the snowplow, now revealed after the snow had melted at the bottom of her driveway. Isn't it true sometimes so much junk can pile up and grow up around us that we seem to disappear? Somehow we almost become lost. Things to be done, hectic schedules, worry and conflict, sometimes described as, quote-unquote, the things of this world, consume us and we lose our focus. We are in the midst of the season of Lent, a time for repentance, self-evaluation, and preparation. Let's start by peeling away the things that harden our hearts, steal our focus, and make us feel dirty. In 1926, Earl Marlatt wrote these familiar words. Lord, we are able. Our spirits are thine. Remold them and make us like thee divine. Thy guiding radiance above us shall be a beacon to God, to love and loyalty. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. Up next, Riley Smith will visit with FFA Association President Holly Schmidt for segment number two of Weekend Ag Matters here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Today marks the end of the week-long celebration that is National FFA Week, and I've had the chance to sit down with Iowa FFA Association President Holly Schmidt. First off, Holly, thanks for taking the time to visit with us during this very busy week. Uh, could you give us a rundown on how uh, FFA Week is being, uh, is being celebrated in Iowa right now? Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be talking to you today. National FFA Week is being celebrated all over the state, all over the country, and many of the different activities going on this week center around the local FFA chapters. You know, these members have been working all year on the different activities they've been planning, and some of those involve an Ag Olympics where members kind of get involved and do some different agriculture activities that are like contests, they have kiss-a-pig contests, different community service opportunities. They can compete in their sub-district contests for their leadership development events or career development events. And something that the state officers doing, are doing this year is, again, chapter visits to 
go out, meet students from all across the state, and kind of give them the experience of learning more about SSA, leadership, and teamwork in the classroom and then in their supervised agriculture experiences. So with all of that, you know, being an officer and uh, going across the state to visit all these different chapters, you have a unique viewpoint of FFA Week. So for you personally, what has it been like so far and what have been some of your favorite activities that you've uh, been able to watch? Yeah, so this week started off on Saturday. We had the Iowa FFA Foundation Gala in Ankeny, Iowa. And it was definitely a, a hit, um, raised a lot of money for agricultural education, and it was just very cool to see all these different sponsors come together to support our our organization. Um, then Monday, I traveled to Bloomington, Minnesota, actually, which is right up by Minneapolis. And um, I got to celebrate SSA Week with AMPI, which is a milk uh, co-op there, creamery. So I grew up on a dairy farm in Northeast Iowa, and they asked me to speak because that's where we sell our milk to. So I just kind of gave some regards about SFA Week and how SFA is, you know, impacting the dairy industry. And today I traveled down to Shenandoah, Iowa, um, almost five hours away from Minneapolis, and I did some different activities with them today. I went to their Ag Olympics, heard some of the contests that they're practicing for district convention, and really got to meet a lot of cool members. This Friday will be spent at West Marshall, which is in State Center. And then the week will be capped off with some proficiency judging and the state alumni and supporters conference in Ankeny. So lots of traveling, lots of business, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. And we know that FFA week, uh, of course, a very fun time, but you alluded to as well with the contest, a lot of time for uh, kind of that business and professional development as well. So when we're thinking about FFA week and just kind of ex- by extension, the FFA in general, you know, what does that mean to you, especially, you know, as we're putting it on full display throughout this week? Yeah, so I think FFA does a great job of preparing tomorrow's leaders. Um, And the way that we're doing that is career development events and leadership development events. Right now we're in leadership development event season. So students across the state, you know, they're practicing their public speeches, job interviews, parliamentary procedure, their ag sales presentations. And I think to me that really just exemplifies how well-rounded of an organization the FFA is. You know, you can get involved because you love agriculture. Maybe your mom told you you had to join. Maybe your friend signed up. And I think it just, it really shows how well you can prepare students um, to be the leaders in agriculture and policy and industry. You know, whatever they're passionate about, the SSA and the LDEs that they're competing in this week are going to be able to help them, give them opportunities to practice the skills they're going to use in any career path. And so... For me, that means um, some of the LDs I did in high school were like job interview and public speaking. Those really helped me become a stronger speaker and a better interviewer, too. Right. And, you know, I, I like you bringing up that uh, uh, we're, you know, focusing on celebrating these future ag leaders because that's who's in FFA right now. But also those future leaders are maybe approaching uh, the time where they will be in FFA. You're looking at elementary and middle school aged kids. Uh, a lot of those kids are watching how the FFA will celebrate this week and a lot of them are going to see, you know, how fun it looks and decide to join there. So imagine the younger version of yourself in middle school. What would you tell that younger version of yourself when it comes to FFA and what to be excited for? Yeah, I actually got to interact with a lot of middle schoolers today at Shenandoah. And just they kept asking, like, how do I get involved? How do I get one of those blue corduroy jackets? 
And if I were to go back and talk to myself from, you know, fifth or sixth grade, I would give my myself this piece of advice. I would say, you know what, just try every opportunity you have because you may think you know what you like now, but it's going to change. And the people you surround yourself is going to change. And that's a good thing, you know. Through SSA, I found a lot of my best friends, people who I talk to every single day who are so supportive, my best mentors. And I don't think fifth grade me would ever comprehend having such a network because of joining one organization. So I would say, you know, give it the, give yourself the opportunity to grow in SSA and to fail because sometimes we learn just as much from our failures as we do as our successes. All right, and then one last question here. Of course, we know that FFA is more than cows, plows, and sows. What are some of the most unique opportunities that you've had, you know, either maybe a fun activity or those professional activities uh, that you've been able to experience or that you've seen other ex- uh, other people experience uh, through the FFA? Yeah, so a very exciting opportunity I had just this past January was a trip to Australia, and it was called International Leadership Seminar for State Officers. So 75 state FFA officers from all across the country, we took a 15-hour flight from Los Angeles to Sydney, Australia, and we spent two weeks exploring agriculture and exploring the culture in Australia. And this was the most amazing opportunity because I got to, you know, experience a whole new country. I've never been out of the United States other than that trip now. And you got to see what farmers, what challenges farmers are facing in other parts of the world. But the thing that was the coolest is that you see that farmers all over the world might be facing different challenges, growing different things, but they all have the same passion at their heart. The people are the same. And I think wherever opportunity you find in SFA, you're going to find that the people about it. So many different opportunities, like Washington Leadership Conference, the National Convention, the Next Generation Conferences, and all of those center around agriculture and leadership, but the best part of them is the people. And so... I'd say any opportunity where you get to go meet new people is really what makes the SSA special. All right, Holly, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us today. Uh, is there anything else uh, you know, concerning FFA week or just uh, things that you have going on in general as you're uh, in your position as president of Iowa FFA that you want our listeners to know about today? I would say just happy National FFA week. This is a week for people who have worn the jacket in the past who are currently wearing it, and for those future SSA members like we talked about. So thank a farmer for their contributions today. Uh, Make sure you're thanking your ag teacher. They put a lot of time in, and have a great National SSA Week. All right, that again was Iowa FFA President Holly Schmidt. Holly, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. Yes, thank you for having me. That again was Iowa FFA Association President Holly Schmidt. That's all the time we have for segment two on this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. Up next, Dustin will wrap up the show as he talks with Nevada, Iowa farmer Scott Henry. This is Weekend Ag Matters. In February, we celebrate World Radio Day. Here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, we feature Iowa-centric programming with content focused on Iowa crop farmers and livestock producers who draw their livelihood from modern production agriculture. Today, the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network offers nine programs per day, anywhere from two and a half to four minutes. In addition, the network airs a daily midday program featuring Iowa ag news and discussions called Iowa Ag Matters. We thank you for supporting the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network as we celebrate World Radio Day in February.
Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. We're talking today with Iowa farmer Scott Henry. He is with Longview Farms, owns Longview Farms rather, of Nevada, Iowa. And Scott, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk with us here today. Yes, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. All right, so first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about your farm and, and the story of your operation there in Nevada? Yeah, Longview Farms is a diversified, multi-generational family farm headquartered in Nevada, like you said. Uh, we, we do row crop corn and soybeans along with seed corn and then do have some livestock interests both in uh, custom feeding cattle and hogs. Okay, and so what we're talking about today is obviously we, we know there's so much work on being done with environmental efforts in the agriculture industry, conservation efforts, things like that. And you're helping push a drive to, you know, make sure that we're seeing more of those programs included into the new farm bill, which of course we all know sadly is running late, but it still gives us some time to, to negotiate what's going in there. So tell us about those concerns, especially from that Iowa farmer perspective for the tools you need to have available. Yeah, I think the, the farmer, not just Iowa farmer, but the American farmer needs this farm bill to happen. Uh, and we need it to happen sooner rather than later. So much momentum in the industry right now around conservation practices and climate smart agriculture is, is giving the resources to farmers to adopt those practices. And I think that's imperative, not just for our own future, but also for the, the quality of waters in the United States and in Iowa, as well as um, just, just the consumer's demand and, and helping farmers to meet it. Unfortunately, too many people um, right now are, are asking for, for this and there's, there's a lack of support. Uh, there's a lack of technical assistance. Uh, and even if you look at some of the different programs um, that are existing in the old farm bill that could either run out of money or um, be, be shuttered completely if we don't get at minimum an extension um, but preferably a, a broader based new bill. Now I know one of the concerns, you know, first and foremost for a lot of farmers is you know, the financial concern. You're talking about changing the way you operate, maybe some acres coming out of production for, you know, edge of field strips or, or what other production. And so it's got to pay, it's got to hit that bottom line, especially in a time right now when our return on investment is getting tighter with the increase in inputs and the decrease we're seeing in the marketplace. Definitely the economic impact of all of this is, is huge, right? The, the, the critical importance of having the tools available for us to not only produce a crop, but pr to produce a crop that the consumer will buy and that the consumer demands. And what's, what's so unique about this point in time is that there, there seems to be a disconnect with the boots on the ground and, and who's doing the work, so to speak. And, and those that are consuming the products, whether it be through a vehicle or, or a shirt on someone's back or the actual food that they eat. And so for us as producers, you know, we want to see um, the protections that help us manage the downside risk. As you mentioned, there's, that's obviously a, a bigger issue this year than what it has been in the past couple of years. Uh, and so that's very top of mind when we think about risk management, uh, particularly in regards to crop insurance as well as just um, pr practices and adopting new opportunities and technologies to help us be more resilient with all of the volatile weather and everything else that Mother Nature seems to be throwing at us these last couple of years. All right, so when we talk about some of these priorities that you wanna see put into the Farm Bill, obviously to get a full wish list is something that's tough in any piece of legislation, but what are some things like really at the top of that list 
that you are concerned with or that you'd like to see uh, get into this farm bill? You know, for us, I think there's two two big things. One is that we want to see the actual outside of the farm bill, the, the climate smart ag and the money that was put into the Inflation Reduction Act stay in there. Uh, if you look at farmers that have been trying to implement certain projects on their farm, a lot of them have struggled to get it done because our NRCS offices haven't been fully staffed for a long time um, or there hasn't been technical assistance out there. And so we would ask that the money that that has been already allocated to certain things through the, the Inflation Reduction Act um, actually be used to help clear the backlog, so to speak, for, for what is out there and then let the farm bill move forward on a standalone basis. And so that that's one thing that I think a lot of farmers, um, when, when we actually go into these government agencies and these government offices, we want to see people there that not only have the ability to help us, but have, have the capacity um, and the time to help us with the, with the different requests and different activities that we're trying to do. And so I know that there's 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 a debate in Washington as to if, if dollars should be repurposed and moved and and I guess the the encouragement that me as an Iowa farmer would would share with them is to to let those dollars do what they were designed to do to help clear the backlog and let's use this farm bill as something as a go forward so that way we're not fighting um, for dollars available in the future. The other element I think that that is big is is continuing to just make sure that the economic element of, of a lot of these production practices is real. And so anywhere we can help make the economic case, not just the environmental case is huge, whether it be through uh, technical assistance or the creation of um, center, the Center for Conservation Economics. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways that, um, you know, if we can help farmers know and understand that these practices work, um, and that there is an economic benefit to them, that they'll adopt them and that they'll stay adopted. I think the worst thing would be is to have a program run out of money and all of a sudden you see farmers stop implementing or stop stop using these practices and and therefore were those dollars just wasted? Um, you know so so again, I think that we can the more we can help help farmers learn and train, then that's a big thing. And then and then lastly, obviously what is, was probably the most important for many of us is continuing to support the crop insurance program. Um, I understand that there could be reasons to um, implement certain requirements uh, around practices or uh, create different incentives for certain um, regenerative ag or climate smart ag practices. I don't think there's a ton of pushback in the farmer community for it as long as those are done on a voluntary basis and there's sound measuring um, and in ways to to actually see the benefits of those tools. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we have the risk management support uh, because we are a critical infrastructure for our country here, whether it be um, the ethanol that's, that goes towards fuel, fueling our country or um, towards a feed uh, that we're raising to help feed the country. All right, so, you know, speaking as a farmer who's obviously got the systems in place in the conservation farming, maybe just highlight some of how these programs that we're talking about, whether the NRCS is behind them or not, how they help a farmer in this situation to be able to make this pay off and also be environmentally responsible. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways that they can help the farmer. Uh, first and foremost, I think that many of us, we need 
a little bit of a boost um, to get started, or at least a little bit of a push sometimes. And I think that's where um, NRCS offering support for particular projects um, or for the implementation of a certain practice can be a great way to introduce that on the farm. And then we need the technical guidance and assistance to help farmers know that these practices are working, not just for the environment, but for their bottom line as well. And that that's ultimately um, gonna be what gives us the staying power to see these practices, not just implemented and introduced, but then to be sustaining going forward. And so, so in my mind, those are, those are definitely some of the big, um, the big components of, of, again, not just introducing an idea that works, but proving it and then seeing it um, survive long-term. All right. Well, that covers the questions I had. Scott, is there anything you want to add in closing today? I think I would just encourage uh, probably the two different groups out there, um, the farmers and the consumers, to, to, to think big picture and, and to take an objective view on not just the farm bill, but this whole uh, idea of climate smart agriculture in general. I don't think that we're competing with one another as much as it as it lets on, or as as much as sometimes the 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 articles or the commentary and rhetoric that's out there is. At the end of the day, we all want ourselves and our kids and and our grandkids to be able to eat clean food, drink drink safe quality water, and to have a beautiful country full of the natural resources that we have existing today to be available for us in the future. And, and, and if we can align behind that, you know, it shouldn't matter what, what the vote count is in DC or what one side says versus the other. Um, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll end up with something that's good for everyone and, and one that we can all call a win. All right. Well, Scott, we thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. A lot of great information. Thank you for having me. That again was Iowa farmer Scott Henry here on Weekend Ag Matters. Well, that's going to do it for today's program. You can find all our content online at iowaagnet.com, as well as follow us on Facebook, X, TikTok, LinkedIn, and on our YouTube channel. For Mark Magnuson, Riley Smith, and Russ Parker, I'm Dustin Hoffman from the IARN Studios in Des Moines. We thank you for listening. This has been Weekend Ag Matters.